the moments where we didn't have to feel that Linda and I could just be silly and make moments that made people laugh, whether it was on the set or the viewers, it didn't matter. It just made us laugh. Those were my repose. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Awardist, where we're chatting with the actors, creators, and more who are contenders this year and breaking down the state of the 2023 Emmys race. I'm Entertainment Weekly Executive Editor Jared Hall, and back this week again with me is EW Editor-in-Chief Patrick Gomez. Hello, hello. How are you? Hello, hello. I'm good. I'm good. Uh, Well, happy to have you here. Uh, So this week... Oh, I'm so excited for this one. She has been a fixture of entertainment and pop culture for more than 40 years, kicking off her career as a child star in the 70s and 80s and launching to stardom with Married with Children before going on to star in series including Jesse, Samantha Who, and Up All Night, as well as movies including Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead, The Sweetest Thing, and The Anchorman and Bad Moms movies. And in my chat with her, we discuss some of those projects, as well as her most recent series, which wrapped up after three years and for which she has received two previous Emmy nominations. That show is dead to me. And that star is the one and only Christina Applegate. And when I tell you, Patrick, oh my gosh, our conversation was, it's probably unlike any I've had with anyone on this podcast. Um, She's just so, so chill and frank and honest, uh, but also um, darkly funny. And I just like want to be her friend and hang out and like laugh about things. Uh, she's just so cool. Um, but anyway, that show, um, Dead to Me, gosh, people really latched onto that. I certainly loved it. Um, what What do you think it was about those performances, both from Christina and Linda Cardellini, that um, that you loved, that that audiences loved? Well, you know, you mentioned uh, Christina's storied career, and I think that this was something a little bit different for her, and so it was a little unexpected. Uh, and and for Linda too, I mean, and and uh, the, the series itself just happened to be good uh, and have a little bit of a twist to it. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so there was a lot to there's a lot to digest from it, um, which is is uh, fun, and I think people were engaged with that. And then add on to that the added layer of uh obviously uh, her her sad ms diagnosis um that added just an extra weight um to all of it and i think that it's it's no surprise that the audiences reacted in the way that they have to it yeah well and i think what is all the more impressive is that uh i i I did not fully realize the timeline. I thought before they started filming that she already knew she had MS. Turns out she found out while they were filming season three uh, that she that she uh, got that diagnosis. Um, and and the the crew and the cast they were so lovely and amazing and and you know made all kinds of adjustments to accommodate for her. Um, but. But all of that said, what's so incredible is still how incredible she is in this final season. I think she has some of the best comedy in season three that she's had the entire run of the show. And, um, you know, she's just a pro and she makes it look easy. But I know it wasn't. Yeah, I mean, there's just, you know, it's always harder than it looks 
Um, (laughs) But in this, in this regard, you have to really take into account everything that she was dealing with physically and to still give such a fantastic performance. Like that alone deserves a major celebration. Uh, indeed, I could not uh, ditto that more. All right. Well, before we get to that interview, let's talk about some recent developments in a few categories. I want to start with Kieran Culkin, uh, who has switched from supporting to lead actor in a drama for his work on the final season of Succession. He's now competing against his on-screen dad and brother, Brian Cox and Jeremy Strong. Do you think three actors can uh, can fill slots in that category from this show this season probably um you know i just think that this show has been so great i think the brian cox uh decision to go lead is actually the more controversial one here Mm -hmm. uh out of the out of the three i think that kieran has actually been doing the best work out of anyone on this season personally um so i love him just going for the the big one um but uh you know We've seen, if you've heard me on this podcast before, you will hear me constantly reference Catherine Zeta-Jones' Oscar win for Chicago uh, when, you know, just because uh, Hollywood standards, you would never imagine that there are two female leads to a movie um, that she went for supporting and that was an, that was an easier win for her. Uh, and I think it would have been an easier win for him to go for supporting. So I think it's a bold move to go for lead. but. It, I think he has a chance of getting a nomination and we'll have to see about the win uh, once we see all the all the contenders. Yeah, well, you know, before the season even started, I was I was so like amped and ready for just, you know, Brian Cox to just dominate this season. Uh, and like this was going to be his win. And then after episode three, I was like, oh, so does that make him supporting? Does that, but it, technically with the screen time, he, um, you know, he still qualifies for lead and we've seen him pop up uh, in one other episode. Um, we hear it might happen again, TBD, but um, there's not much left of the show at this point. But yeah, I, um, I, I'm with you on that. I, but I, man, I want, I want, both I want all of them to win. It kind of um, it starts to make me wonder why the Emmys don't have ensemble categories uh, like the SAG Awards. I was do. just going to say this makes me excited for SAG because at least then all of them, if they win, would be celebrated all together because uh, agreed. Yeah, it's they've they've just done some stellar work on that show this season. Okay, let's talk about the Peacock series, Mrs. Davis, uh, starring Betty Gilpin. This is a like a fantasy dramedy uh, from Damon Lindelof and Tara Hernandez. It has switched from drama series to limited anthology. Uh, and while we haven't received official word that it's been canceled, that to me kind of seems to be what's going on there. Um, unless, of course, the show they could do something like an anthology route, but that kind of seems unlikely. Um, what's funny is this is something that usually happens in the reverse. A show is limited anthology in one season, and then they end up being drama the next season, like The White Lotus. Um, but I, I guess my f- first question, do you, do you think that means it, it sounds like this show is probably not getting renewed? I would assume that, but I also, you know, given the pedigree, you know, you've mentioned the creative people involved. I could also see this being a plan or even a pivot that they're like well if you guys brought it back what would season two be and the answer being like oh my god like we could just do something completely different and then all of a sudden them being like okay well that's not a that's not a that's not a drama series that's you know 
uh, so I could see either way. I, I, I think you're probably right um, in terms of, of renewals, especially given everything else that's going on in the industry right now, but also given everything else that's going on in the industry right now, if there's an easy green light for a season two uh, that eventually could happen, then that everything that's going on with the writer strike could make that easier to say yes to or much harder. Yeah, that's, that's a really interesting point. Um, because if they do want a season two, right, maybe that just means the show's not going to be back for a while. They've got to take a long time to write and everything. But now that they are in, uh, this, uh, you know, limited slash anthology series or TV movie category. Let me take you quickly through, uh, that list because it, it really complicates things there. Okay, so this this category also includes what is probably the front runner, Monster, the Jeffrey Dahmer story, Blackbird, Beef, which uh, folks thought for a while was actually going to be a comedy series, but it is actually limited. They are just doing that one season and done. Fleischman is in trouble. White House Plumbers, Daisy Jones and the Six, George and Tammy, Love and Death. Uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi, A Small Light, The Patient, Swarm, Welcome to Chippendales. Uh, there's, uh, there are a lot of amazing limited series in here. Um, and the list just keeps going and going as I'm scrolling and my mind is like, holy cow, I forgot about that show and that show and this one. Um, so I, uh, not that I thought it stood a great chance, uh, in the drama category, but, uh, limited series, um, ends up being, you know, fewer nominees. So I, think they're probably going to have a tough, a even tougher time here as well. But Betty Gilpin, her chances are probably greater now. Yeah, agreed. Uh, and, you know, we here at EW love uh, some Betty Gilpin. Yeah. So uh, I'm excited for that uh, and um, just think she deserves the world. Could not agree more. Okay, so uh, another show, another actor to talk about uh, from Yellow Jackets uh, for season two, which is uh, currently on. Sophie Nalise, who plays teen Shauna, will now be in the lead drama actress category, along with her adult counterpart, Melanie Linsky, as well as Tawny Cypress and Juliette Lewis. Um, I, I don't know about this one. <laughs> it's an interesting choice because... It, I mean, honestly, it's such an ensemble cast that it's also they could totally go the modern family route and just everyone go for supporting um, because it, it every episode, there's a different one of them gets a chance to shine. I will say that uh, that the teen Shauna character has had a lot more to do this season than I think last season. Um, so I do. I don't think that like an upgrade is unwarranted or justified. That being said, yeah, I... Well, see, I subscribe to your argument here that because of the work, she would really stand out in the supporting race. Yeah. Because even then, I would... I would. It's That's a show that's hard. It's season one, I think you could claim just one because of the social narrative about like it being Melanie Linsky's year. Um, but two, just because, you know, this story was much more focused on a much smaller group of people uh, in, in season one. I think that you could have gone for some lead actress uh, nominations last year, but then this year I would have, I would have, if I was their strategist, I would have said just everyone go for supporting. Um, and we'll see just cause I mean, all of it's going to be a crowded space. And even among, even among the, uh, even among the yellow jackets, 
cast, it's going to be like, even if you just wanted to put Yellow Jackets cast members in the lead and supporting categories, you still wouldn't have enough slots um, <laughs> right. for all the all the all the <laughs> yeah. women who are or, or actors who are are worthy from that series, mm-hmm. I think. But uh, then you throw in Succession and right. uh, Sarah Snook, who's also got to succeed mm-hmm. here. Um, yeah. It's just like it, those are it's it's tough. It's it's tough to see uh, right. a lead actress uh, category that will have more than maybe one or two yellow jackets mm-hmm. people in it. Yeah. Well, and, uh, you know, to that point of going all supporting, that's the White Lotus Sicily. They are all supporting because of it being an ensemble cast. Um, so I think that would have been the right yeah. call here. But yeah, people are, you know, you're going to do what you're going to do. And, you know. Uh, best of luck to them. <laughs> Indeed. Um, and I feel like that's kind of what the uh, TV Academy said to this last one, <laughs> saying, yeah, good luck, you guys. Nice try. Schmigadoon <laughs> tried to switch for season two from comedy series to scripted variety series because the rules have changed a bit. Um, but I don't I don't understand in what world they thought they were a variety series. I would almost argue that they would have had a better chance arguing to, to be in the limited anthology uh, category. Mm. Uh, oh, and be more of an anthology yeah. in that, that definition. That's interesting. Yeah. Like, I think they would have had, I don't think they would have had good luck because White Lotus tried to make that same argument. Yeah. Um, but uh, so I don't think they would have succeeded in either campaign. But uh, yeah, uh, I, I, this one boggles my mind though also has us talking about it. So maybe that was actually the strategy here. True. Uh, of just like making, you know, putting putting it in everyone's minds in terms of being nominated at all. Um, so uh, it's a really fun show. Um, also, kudos to the Apple team for sending a really fun mailer. I'm just going to shout <laughs> yeah. out um, yeah. that uh, that was really fun. Everyone in the office was talking about that. Uh, so I'm, uh, yeah, I, I, I think that's the win here is that we're talking about it. Yeah, well, and I will say I feel like I've seen more people talking about season two than the first season, um, especially because there have been some uh, some really standout musical numbers on that show, uh, especially from uh, Jane Krakowski. Uh, I think it was episode three that everyone's talking about um, and and really pushing her uh, for attention there. I mean, season one was great, and they uh, but they took that world, and I think they also found a more fun musical to be at the heart of it all or the more fun vibe of a musical to be at the heart of it all. And just like the, the guest stars and, and people that they've added for season two. I mean, it is just, even if you don't love musical theater, you will be impressed with this cast list. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. Um, all right. Well, do you have any announcements you, you want to make? Are you switching categories or anything? I'm switching all the categories. No, uh, <laughs> I, I just, I think um, it just, it gets me excited every time I come on this podcast and I just can't wait to see who actually makes those list of nominees because it is such a crowded, crowded category. And now I just hope that we actually have a ceremony as scheduled. Um, well, uh, but also hope the writers yeah. get everything they want and deserve. So uh, agree to um, all of that. I, yeah. Yeah. I hope it's a quick resolution so that we can all cons- continue celebrating television. Uh, as much as we want to. Yes. Well, and and to your point, uh, we know now that the Tony Awards are not going to be televised. So uh, we got a little ways to go before before the Emmys, though. We are just two months away from nominations in mid-July and then the ceremony in mid-September. So uh, it's all going to go by so <laughs> incredibly fast. It'll be fall before we know it. I do think that they should just like massively delay the Tonys 
and not mess with the eligibilities for next season and just fingers crossed that uh that everything is resolved prior to there needing to be another ceremony just god i love watching the tony so much yeah, they're a fun show. I mean, it's 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 made for TV. These these incredible performances. So it's yeah, yeah lends itself to a great ceremony. All right, folks. Well, don't go anywhere. Coming up, I I, I can't wait to re-listen to this interview. It's Dead to Me star Christina Applegate. We'll be right back. Welcome back to The Awardist. Well, she uh, did a little dirty deed on the first season of Dead to Me. She uh, killed a man, played by James Marsden. And then they spent season two trying to cover that up. And then... Spoiler alert. uh, Oops, am I saying too much? Uh, And then then he had a twin and things just... There was was a wonderful chaos on this show, Dead to Me. Um, And uh, Christina Applegate, she will tell you, enjoyed every single minute of what she got to do. Uh, So let's get to it, I say. Here's my interview with Dead to Me star Christina Applegate. Christine Applegate, I'm a huge fan. I could not tell you how any more excited I am uh, to, to be speaking with you um, for this show, which I think you're just so, so incredible on. And I'm sad it's done. I'm sad it's over. Do you, do you feel yeah. like, do you have any unfinished business with Jen? No, because Judy's gone. There is no Jen without Judy. The unfinished business is really being able to hang out with Linda and Liz and James and Sam and Luke and Deanna and Brendan and you know, Valerie and all the people that were part of it, like that in my crew, um, that's sad always, you know, to leave that family. But when you have a family that's that tight and that has gone through what we went through the last season, um, you know, we still are incredibly close. Uh, Linda and I, we check in at least a couple times a week. So we're, we're good. Yeah. Well, that makes complete sense. Of course it does. Cause she's like one of my best friends in the world. So yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. I, which, yeah, we know from seeing that at the uh, yeah your star ceremony and all that stuff, which um, feels so uh, you know long ago deserved. But I, I'm glad it, it happened. Um, okay, so I I guess a little admission: I was not allowed to watch Married with Children when I was a kid. <laughs> but <laughs> neither was I. Yeah, I would watch when no one was looking. Do you, Do you hear that a lot from people? You know, it's funny because I know I actually don't because I mean, I hear people were like, oh, I grew up with you. And I'm like, well, I was growing up, too. We were all growing up together. Basically, I was 15 when I started the show. So we were all kind of experiencing it all together. Um, But I mean, you know, Married with Children is a hard one because either you hated it or you loved it. You know, either you were Terry Ricolta who tried to shut us down and ended up making us a bigger success than we ever were. I don't know if you know who that is. Google it. It's a funny thing. We sent her flowers every single year, thanking her for trying to take our show off the air because we became a, a success after that. And I think we've gotten so far away from it now that the, mostly now what I hear is like, don't tell mom and anchor man and things like that. Like that's more what people talk to me about, unless it's dead to me or like Samantha who the people that were watching then are, you know, in their fifties and they don't talk to me. No one. <laughs> I mean, I'm 51 years old, you know? 
Oh, gosh. Well, I, I mean, you brought up a couple of the things I do want to ask about when people talk about um, don't tell mom the babysitter's dead. Is it more just like people walking up to you and saying, I'm I'm right on top of it, Rose? <laughs> There's a lot of, of I'm on top of it, Rose. I think someone sent me because I don't look at stuff ever. But Betsy Johnson, I guess, tweeted this was years ago or something. She tweeted like she was sitting at her desk and she said, I'm right on top of that, Rose. And someone sent me a screenshot of it. And I thought that was the coolest thing ever that like this, like, you know, huge designer in the world of fashion says I'm on top of that rose. So that warmed my cockles. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, the thing too, is of course, when you're filming stuff, you don't know that a line is going to be like that. It's that it's going to find a place in pop culture history like that. And, and people, you know, love it quoted years later. Yeah. People make, make sweat, like really kind of cool, like fashiony sweatshirts that say I'm right on top of that rose. Like it's the thing. And I'm, you know, this was 30, plus years ago that we did this. So it's kind of crazy that it still kind of lives on in people's worlds that, you know, yeah. the idea yeah. of this mom leaving their kids alone for like three months in a house, is just like unheard of, especially in the, in the land of helicopter parents, you know, it was so <laughs> wrong. All of it was so, and then she gets was- a job, becomes a fashion icon. It was just so ridiculous. Ridiculous, but honestly, it all worked. I, uh, I loved it. Okay. And then Samantha, who, God, I loved that show. You yeah. with Gene, with Melissa McCarthy, with uh, Jennifer Esposito. Kevin Dunn. Uh, I know. Yeah. They all went off to have shitty ass careers, didn't they? <laughs> the worst. Yeah. Yeah. Do you miss that one? Oh, my God. With all of my heart. Um, that was a real heartbreaker for me. You know, with Dead to Me, we knew the end was coming. You know, it's like we planned that. We were not canceled. Um, Samantha, who was stripped out from underneath us. And that was devastating. Remind me, that had to do with the, the switch they wanted to go from single cam to multi? Was no, that- no, no, no. That was up all night. That got real weird. That That's where that night. got real weird. And I was like, uh, no, we're not doing that's just way weird and it became like very meta and it got like really strange Mm. but you know kudos to all the people who put an effort into trying to make that happen but i was like i can't by any sense of the word do that but no samantha who was canceled basically it kind of happened like during the writer strike we had you know we were getting 16 to 20 million viewers per night and then then everything happened and it took a long time which shouldn't have taken a long time (laughs) Mm -hmm. I know we're talking, I'm talking in code right now. Yep. yep. And because of it, when we came back on the air, people were still trying to find everything and then they kept moving us around and that was it. It was just like destroyed. So it it broke my heart because it was, it was like as if the stars had aligned and here, here's this cast that like went on to become the masters of the universe. But yet we had such an amazing crew. We had like, we were all so in love with each other that we would on Friday nights, either sit in my dressing room or take over one of the sets, which was Samantha's house and party until five o'clock in the morning, the whole crew, not the cast. I'm talking sound department, grip department, lighting department, camera department. We'd have music. We'd have champagne brought in. We'd have food. We would stay till five o'clock in the morning. We'd be driving off the lot when the sun was coming up because we didn't want to leave each other. That's how amazing of an experience it was for me. Wow. Besides the creative aspect of it, which was the most fun that I've ever had where playing a character that is a toddler, mm-hmm. everything is new. Everything is a brand new discovery. You know, all of us, we play these characters that, you know, you come into it with an idea, you come into it with this, like a, a backstory, you come into it this. She had none of that. So it was like, Ooh, it was like, you know, being a marionette. It was really, really a fun, beautiful character to play. I loved her. 
Well, it was such a great concept. Uh, those parties, I mean, we know Melissa McCarthy can throw them back. <laughs> She's been known to do a, a few splits or two. <laughs> and that's all I'm going to say about my little McCarthy, except for the fact that during when we were doing that, you know, and her being kind of like the friend and not given a lot to do, really, as much as she would deserve to have. I remember going to see her in the Groundlings and it was one of the most unbelievable things I've ever seen in my life where I was laughing so hard that no sound was coming out and it was actually painful to laugh. And afterwards I said to her, Melissa, when the world gets to see what you're capable of, there's no stopping you. And she's like, eh, no, well, my career, this, and this is kind of what I'm doing. And I'm like, Melissa, listen to me. The second the world gets to see what you are capable of, it's over, man. It's over. And guess what? She got an Academy Award nomination out the gate for shitting in a sink. And, <laughs> and way more than that, way more than shitting in a sink for brilliance, just utter brilliance. I love her so much. Yeah, such a comedy genius. And Jean Smart's not doing so shabby herself no, right now. No, she's not. I mean, I was going to say a couple of times, uh, you know, th through the past couple of years with Hacks, I've, uh, you know, just kind of mentioned Samantha Who to her and how much I love the show. And, and then, you know, the conversation turns to how much she loves you. Do you two get to keep in touch? Oh my God. Yes. She, during, especially during this whole really fucked up year I've had has come over a few times and we just lay in bed and hold hands and cry and talk. And it's just our time. She's still very a huge part of my life. Yeah. Well, and she's, you know, she's, she's had some things of her own the past few years yeah, I know. And, I know. and, and uh, yeah, getting through everything with seemingly such grace and poise. She's, she's fantastic. And I'm, I'm happy to hear you all keep in touch. Well, let's talk a bit more about Dead to Me, shall we? Um, sure. let, let me start here. When I started watching the first couple of episodes, um, knowing that, you know, you had received your um, your MS diagnosis before that. And, and I do have to admit, when I was starting to watch, I was like, oh, OK, so this will be somehow be incorporated um, because you were, you were in the hospital bed and, you know, we didn't really see you up and moving. And then they give us a little twist. Uh, you know, they, they threw us in that, the, you know, the medical condition was actually going to be um, Judy for Judy to deal with going into the season then knowing that were you scared about what you would be able to do were you you know take me through that i'll take you through it first of all the um the show was written a year before i had any symptoms oh. so none of this was planned this was not them as a result as to what happened to me this was already we had done the table read for this during pandemic so way before now, looking back, I've been having symptoms for probably five years, very, very unnoticeable and, you know, weird little things like my leg would buckle or something like that, even on set. And I was like, oh, I'm just tired, tired, tired. It wasn't until January of 2021 that I started to feel numbness in my feet. And when I got back to the show, my doctors had told me it was just peripheral neuropathy and it was definitely not MS. Mm. So I was pushing and I'm like, I can't believe like, why can't I walk? Like, this is so weird. And I'm like, something really weird is going on. And, and the production was like, you need to go figure this out. And it was, it wasn't until we were like almost a month into shooting that I found out I had MS. So we had already been shooting, oh. but I was freaking out because I'm like, why are my legs not working? And I just thought I was having like hysteria or this neuropathy thing because I had gone through a lot. My mom had gotten cancer again and all sorts of shit had happened in my life. So I think, you know, I just thought, oh, I'm just... I'm having a hysterical moment. My back's bad. You know, I have a bad back. So, oh, the nerves, you know, this is, I was convincing myself that it couldn't be anything more, you know, macabre than that. And uh, I went home after work on a Monday and my doctor said, I have to, I have to talk to you. And 
they said I had MS. So I had to call production and be like, yo, dudes, this is not what we wanted to hear at all. And we took a week off <laughs> and then I came back to work and then it was getting harder and harder. It was the middle of summer and heat, which is something I didn't know, makes your, like, your symptoms incredibly worse. Slurred words, not being able to walk at all, shaking of hands, like everything was really bad. And someone that I know on set had a family member who had MS and said, you can't be in heat, man. And I was like, well, no one told me this. Like, I've just, I don't know. So then it was about kind of finding the balance of making sure the set was really cool and that I had breaks and that my sound man, Mitch, would hold up my hold me up when we were doing any scene in a doorway. Those things really happened and happened every single day. If you could see the dance that it would take to get me from my trailer down the steps to my wheelchair with my cane and then with my water put on the other person's back. They had a little backpack with my stuff that I needed. And then they drive me through the set in my wheelchair. I'd get up. They'd show me where I had to walk. And I was like, I can do the walk three times. That's it. It really became kind of choreographed at at some point, but it took a bit to get there for Mm -hmm. sure. So did you, uh, through all of that, obviously you're, you're processing it, dealing with it, learning those kinds of things. I couldn't deal with it at all. I had to work. Right. You know, I'm still working 12 hours a day. And it wasn't until we stopped till it hit me as hard as it has. Oh, okay. So, so you just focused on the work, got through that, and then you, you dealt with like the real matter at hand. Well, did you find it hard to be funny through all of that? I found that to be my repose, Mm. really. I found the moments where we didn't have to feel that Linda and I could just be silly and make moments that made people laugh, like whether it was on the set or the viewers, it didn't matter. It just made us laugh. Those were my repose. It was my break. It was my breath. Yeah. Makes total sense. Been been there not to that extent, but I I completely get that. Um, In general, then I will ask you, because I I just think you... um, not everyone's got this, but you are one of those people. You would probably say like Melissa McCarthy's one of those, Gene Smart. I, I watch you and I think you're one of those people who understands so innately delivery and tone and timing and not everyone's got that. So all of that said, do you find comedy in general easy? No. Just because of the many years you've done it? No. No. It's way harder. Mm. I, I find it way harder because it is, it is, look, I feel that in order to have comedy be effective, that you have to do all the same work that you would do if you were doing Hamlet, if you were doing anything else, you have to have all the, the discipline and the work that you would do for anything else. And then you have to find this weird place where you twinkle above the noise, you twinkle above reality and if you go too far you're into sketch but if you can hit that pocket you can feel that pocket and that pocket is like it's it's it really is like science and for me you know i don't know what it is for anybody else but for me i know when i've waited two more seconds to deliver something the way that i have to deliver it i can feel it fall flat so i know like you got to get back in but all the work has to be done if you're just walking out there going like i'm so funny and it's not, it's not too effective enough to me for my taste, you know, like yeah. when you watch like Spinal Tap and, you know, for years, people thought they were actually a band. That's brilliance. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. that's brilliance. People were like, oh, this band, they did this weird documentary. I remember being in, you know, when it came out when I was a kid and they're like this band, they're really ridiculous. 
And to know that it was these like American dudes improving, that's genius. That's that is comic splendor as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you, you answer the question I was going to ask. You know, I, I'm saying you make it look easy. I'm wondering who you thought, you know, make it look easy or you take inspiration from. That's a that's an amazing example. They're they're so good. That's in my top five favorite movies of all time. I have a very strange, eclectic top five. Do you want to hear them? Oh, yes. And you'll kind of know who I am. Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, Sophie's Choice, Spinal Tap, and All That Jazz. Ooh. All right. That's my top five. That's a very broad. Do you feel like, is there one thing that strings them together for you? Insanity. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's, yeah, that's a great way of putting it. Um, but yeah, you, I've never heard anyone say what you've just said as twinkling right above reality. That's, I, that's one of those phrases I'm going to forget. Well, I can't, I, I don't know. I mean, I came up with it like 30 years ago, I was working on something and I just said to some of my actors, I'm like, you guys don't get so frustrated. Twinkle above it. You got to just twinkle above it. Like yeah. get into that little pocket, you know, and it's different, if, you know, and that was when I was doing a four camera show and it wasn't married with children it was something else, but a four camera show is vaudeville. So that's a whole other art form because you're like, you know, to the audience and you guys have to have a rapport and the audience and you have to have a marriage and a, and a, like a timing and, and like you've got to land so that they come back with their thing. Then that makes your next thing funnier. And then, you know what I mean? It's, it's vaudeville. It's shtick, but single cam, you're kind of relying on your own, you know, objectivity in a way and subjectivity. You have to kind of rely on that to go. Am I in the pocket? Right. Well, on this season of the show with the, with the, this kind of, you know, obviously lots of, Lots of loose ends to tie up. We, you know, we had to had to, you know, land the plane uh, with this third season, but also put these characters in a spot where hopefully you feel good about where they are, and maybe there's a little leaving things to viewers' own interpretation. Uh, you know, with what what is up with Judy there at the end? I always think that Judy took the boat out to a taqueria down at this one little island, and then she got marooned there, and she can't get back. So I left, but she's still alive. That's that's how I deal with it. <laughs> that's my loose end. Okay, I like that. Yeah. Okay. So when I spoke with Linda, yeah, she said there was similar. Like she kind of has thoughts about how she feels about it, but she said, you know, I, I don't really know if there is a truth of what her ending is because, of course, the character is so she means well, but man, you have no idea when she is and isn't telling the truth, which I'm sure kept you on your toes. Acting against that. Acting with Linda Cardellini is a dream come true. And anybody who has the opportunity or the pleasure of getting to work with this incredibly angelic, lovely, passionate, traumatic, amazing human being, they should write in their diary about it. Okay. Because it's, there are lucky, lucky human beings. I think for, for my experience, you know, Linda and I just, we lived, we lived them, Mm. you know, it's like, um, you know, the whole thing about like, you know, subconscious and Stanislavski and, and how like you are taking part of you and you are taking part of this that has been written in this character. And you're you're sharing you're sharing those things, you know, to become what you then project onto the screen. You're sharing it. And that's where you tap into your own crap and your own heart and your own broken heart and your soul. But you can't it can't just be all you. There is a vision there. And I think that mm-hmm. Linda and I just really 
when we were Jen and Judy, we were Jen and Judy. There was no other. And I don't even know how to explain it. I don't even know. Cause well, the last season, it was so difficult for me. I was kind of like going by the seat of my pants with everything, with every moment. Um, but we didn't, you know, we never rehearsed. We never like did anything. It was like, let's just shit out the words and see what happens. And it's just, I mean, there's something to be said for stuff just happening the way they need to happen or supposed to happen. Well, these were two people on the edge. You can't, yeah. you can't like plan every move, plan every move because the moves are going to change. Mm-hmm. And as I always say, she's a great ping pong partner. So like you want to keep playing. It's more fun to keep playing than it is to lose or to win. So you never know what's going to happen. And if you, if you don't have all your shit in gear, you can't play that game without knowing that something's going to come from the right and something's going to come from the left. So I think that the two of us just dove in very blindly a lot of the time and went, let's just see what happens, man. Mm. And mm. when that happened, that was when the scenes were the, the best, I think. Yeah, they get, you get right. Your, your performances just get a chance to shine in those regards. Um, do you, uh, are, are you someone who watches the show back? You take it in separately as a, well, maybe first as how did I do, but then separately as a, as a consumer, as a viewer? It's really hard for me to watch myself. I get really super critical. So I, not about my acting performance, but mostly about like, oh, I got a wrinkle there and now I'm 40 pounds overweight and I have MS. I don't like to watch that kind of stuff. So for me, I'm like, I have to do it privately. And I did finally watch the season over a period of time at my own pace. And I mean, once I got past my own ego and my own shit, it's a beautiful show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Katie Seagal, was that your idea or did someone say, hey, what would you think about? They said, what would you think about? Yeah. And I was like, oh, my God. Yeah. And before we could even like even discuss it further, Katie had already said yes. So it was done. And I was like, fantastic. That's amazing. Made complete sense. Off to the races with those two uh, together. When the show first came to you, the idea for the show, was there was there any kind of bigger message or theme that was presented with it or was it more about like it's these two women and this you know a horrible thing happens and their worlds collide it was just unlike anything i had read because it wasn't it wasn't speaking to any genre and it was also you know liz was like giving me a chance to do something that you know no one really wanted me to do you know people want me to do what i was doing and this was a beautiful amalgamation of both things and really tapping into my own my own darkness, which is not hard to tap into. It's pretty much right under the surface of my skin. <laughs> but also knowing it was Jessica Elbaum who created Gloria Sanchez Productions. She's a very, very good friend of mine. I've known her since 2002. And I knew Liz because Liz and I actually were working on another show together for Gary Sanchez Productions with Adam McKay that started to get too close to home as far as politically. So we both decided that we didn't want to do that because it wasn't funny anymore. <laughs> and anyway, so it wasn't funny anymore. Um, it got real, real serious. <laughs> and then this came along and I was like, damn. And also I had wanted to work with Netflix. I had heard great things about just them letting you have free reign and kind of go do your thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just it's just was so different. And I liked that we didn't know what it was going to be. I liked this kind of challenge of, wait, what is this? Is, mm-hmm. And then we came up, well, actually, Linda came up with, it was called a tromedy. So yeah. not a dramedy, a tromedy. 
a little bit deeper. If, yeah, definitely a little bit deeper. Yeah. Uh, you said something, though, that's interesting to me. I, did you, had you felt like at this point in your career, like you were in a certain box? I was quitting, dude. Let's be honest. I was like, I'm done. Really? I didn't want to do it anymore. I wanted to just hang out with my daughter. I was like, I've missed too many drop-offs and pickups. I've missed too many moments. I've missed too much. And I was in the process of kind of going, maybe I'll just stop this game. Well, that's a good manifestation, you asshole, Christina, because now I'm probably going to have to stop the game. But um, and now my daughter, you know, she's 12, so she hates me. So there's that. <laughs> it'll, it'll get better. It'll get better. Right. It has to. We'll get there. Um, I mean, do you really think it's this is it? Uh, and if it is, Dead to Me must have been a, a way to go out. The best way out, man, if that's the case. I'll never get a job like this again. I'll never have a part, a character like Jen Harding in my life. I'll never have a Judy Hale in my life again. I, I won't. It just doesn't happen very often. So that's kind of like, ugh, well, why would I even want to go push if, if it's not going to feel like this? Because even though I was struggling in the last year of doing it, it was still magic. And not because of our work. I'm not sitting there like doing the, you know, my big violin of my career. It was the moments. It was the experience of being with these people that I really, really, truly loved and doing something that I was proud of. But it it reset the bar and now the bar is really high. It's pretty high. So where are we going to go from there? You know, it's like now what other production am I going to be able to go to and say, hey, I can only work this amount of time and you have to give me 15 minute breaks. Like that's a lot to ask. And if it's a company that doesn't have the empathy that our production had, which was like, yes, whatever you need. And they weren't placating to me. It was like, we know we're watching you. If you need 15 minutes to go put your feet up because they're turning purple, then you need to go do that. Like, this is what we have to do. I'm afraid I would come onto something else and no one would have that kind of understanding. Not that I want anyone to ever understand what MS is. Please, God, I hope no one ever has to feel this way. But I'm scared. I'm scared that I will go someplace and they'll be like, well... It would really mean a lot to us if you could just do two more scenes today, you know, and I'd have to be like, yeah, no. And I, I don't know what I would do, but I know I'm going to miss it. But for right now, I'm enjoying being with my kid and sleeping <laughs> a lot. Mm. Well, I mean, look, if, uh, if if the right thing comes along uh, and I feel like who knows, you never know. You you said you were done before and um, and <laughs> you're maybe saying I'm always that. doing that. I'm always going, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. And then something else comes along. And then I lose my health insurance and then I have to do a job. That's what's happened with Samantha who I lost was not right. to lose my health insurance from a union I was in from 1975, but that's cool. But no, <laughs> but it ended up being like the best job I ever, yeah. you know, one of the best jobs I ever did. Right. So right now I really can't lose my health insurance. So. Well, maybe, maybe <laughs> vocal talents. No, I love, I would love a vocal talent moment. Let's get you an animated series. Though. We're, we're trying. We just were making pitches during the right before the writer's strike. So it was probably not a good timing. Okay. Okay. That's something I'm super excited about. I can't tell you anything about it, but I'm super excited. It's probably one of the best things I've ever, ever, ever been a part of that. I wasn't like, you know what I mean? Like where I'm, I'm so excited because I'm not an animate object. I'm an, in, you know, I'm not human. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> Got it. Um, so I don't have to be on camera. And I can be home and sitting right here in my bed. You can you can get a voiceover booth set up in a closet in your home, easy peasy. Oh, I have a I have a full functioning recording studio here. See, my there you go. A musician. Come on, 
Oh, right. Right. Of course. Yeah. So, so you're set up. You're ready to go. We're good. Well, look, uh, as I've said, I, congratulations on the show. Thank you. I miss it. Um, well, yeah, I, I'm going to miss not seeing it uh, anymore, but I'm glad. I'm so glad for you that that you got the answers you needed and then could finish filming the way that you wanted to and needed to. Um, and. And, you know, got to got to leave it in a. For, for, you know, story-wise, for viewers in, in such a great place. Well, here's another sad part of life. I just found out that this season of Ted Lasso is the last one. Well. What? No, because they're talking spinoffs. I don't I, want right. spinoffs. That's what I, I want Ted Lasso. Yep. Yes, I love Sam. He is adorable. His smile makes my heart warm. <laughs> yes, I love Roy Kent. Yes, I love uh, them all. Yeah. But if there's no Ted Lasso or no Brendan Hunt, like, what is this show? Mm-hmm. Anna, I love she's great. Jenna Temple's great, but I can't no. I was yeah. I actually started crying the other night when my friend goes, you know, this is the last season. I was like, no, 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 no. Mm-hmm. Well, they they keep talking around it and they're saying we haven't actually said. They did a lot of storylines with everybody else. I was getting real upset. Yeah, it feels like definitely planting the seeds for where can we no. take nah. Okay, uh, sorry. That was my that was my argument for the I'm very upset about that. Uh, understandable. Uh, lots of people are. We should just we should just tell we should tell Sudeikis and Brendan that it's giving me more lesions on my brain. I'm stressing <laughs> out so much. <laughs> There's that dark right under the surface you were talking about. <laughs> Literally causing me trauma in my brain. Oh, I do love it though. That's that's my type of humor right there. Yeah, I'm a sicko. Well, Christina, I, I appreciate it. Uh, I appreciate your time and, and uh, congratulations on everything. Thank you. I'm glad everyone, first of all, got a chance to see that uh, that dark humor playing out live, uh, talking about how sad she is that Ted Lasso uh, is going off the air. I mean, joking that like it's going to give you another brain lesion. I, 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 it's one of those moments you don't want to laugh, but she's laughing. So I was like, okay, this is funny. She's giving me permission to like laugh along with her. Um, but, but that, uh, there's that, that dark sense of humor she has that I love so much. But what's really, uh, what has really stuck with me about that interview is talking about, you know, that, that fear that she, um, won't be able to work again, um, for, of course, because, you know, what the MS is doing to her body, but more so because of sets and what she can and can't do. And then if she can't work, uh, not being able to have health insurance, it's just, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's heartbreaking, I guess is the word I will use. But I mean, if that animated show can happen, which I wonder, Patrick, I, I didn't get to follow up with her if it's the the Married with Children animated series uh, that's been talked about, right? Well, okay. Did you watch the show when you were young? Because as you heard, I told her I wasn't allowed to watch, but I did anyway. Sorry, mom. I mean, it was the same. It was the same <laughs> where it was it was kind of of stuck. Uh, same with The Simpsons, honestly. Mm. Um, used to be. Uh, <laughs> Shout out to uh, my my babysitter uh, growing up. It would be whenever I'd be over at her house uh, that uh, I would just watch it because her son would like record it on VHS. And nice. I would totally watch it mm-hmm. all the time. Well, that was me with MTV. My cousin was my babysitter for a while. Was not allowed to watch MTV, but let me tell you, after school, she had on those music videos that I should not have been watching, but 
here we are and I'm just fine today. That's well, subjective. Out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh gosh. Well, look, I, I, I so enjoyed having Christina on, uh, on the podcast. I think she deserves all the attention for her work for various reasons. Um, and, and I hope she gets, uh, finds, finds a way to do more work. Uh, of course, what's, what's not too, um, taxing for her and her body because man, do I just enjoy her so much. I am totally understanding of why she feels like this might be her last time in front of the camera in this way. Yeah. Uh, but it makes me very sad to to think that that might actually be the case. Yeah. Well, uh, I don't know where those doctors are working on cures, but get on it, guys. Um, all right. Well, Patrick, that is it for this episode. Thanks for joining me. Well, well like I said, always a pleasure to be here. Happy to have you. Well, thanks so much to all of you for listening. If you like what you're hearing here on The Awardist, follow, rate the podcast, and leave us an award-winning review on Apple Podcasts. And to keep the conversation with us going, you can follow Entertainment Weekly on all socials. We're at EW on Twitter and at Entertainment Weekly everywhere else. You can also tag me. I'll respond. I'm at Jared Hall. We'll see you back here next week. This episode of The Awardist Podcast is hosted by Jared Hall, produced by Chanel Johnson and Sammy Junio, edited by Sammy Junio. Full episode transcripts are available at EW.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.